Inside, it's comfortable. Inside a house, inside a family, inside a routine. But what if we widen our view beyond the fence across the street? Outside, we find people struggling with loneliness, poverty, families that don't look like ours or without a safe family at all. Jesus didn't call us to live by our neighbors. He called us to love our neighbors. How many of you have caught kind of the ending phrase that he gives in there that, that Jesus didn't just call us to live by our neighbors, but he called us to what our neighbors? To love our neighbors, which is what we've been talking about for the past several weeks, that, that it's, a, it's a pretty incredible thing that this God who created the universe, this God who gave us life, this God who created us, this God who came down to die for us, to save us from sins, to give us eternal life, says the number one, the most important way for you to show me that you love me is to love other people. Like that's every single instruction I've given you comes down to that. That is, that is incredible to me because that goes so much against what we believe and so many times act out as humans that you know, the best way for you to love me, well, let me tell you my love language. First off, my love language is not words of affirmation. So your best way to love me is not to be like, Justin, you are such a good person. Because that's, that's, I mean, that's good to hear, don't get me wrong, but it's not, it's not words of affirmation. It is for my wife. And so for me to love my wife, it's to tell her all the things that I love about her, and maybe that's how you are. For some, it's, you know, your, your love language is acts of service, and the best way for people to love you is by kind of serving in different ways and kind of helping you out in different ways around the house, maybe it is, helping out with your children, whatever it may be. Uh, for some, it's physical touch. Like, if you've gone through the five love languages, you know that there are five, and I said those three because I can't remember what the other two are, and so I'm gonna stop right there. But we as... As humans, like, we have these ways of this is how you can show me that you love me. This is the best way that you can show me that you love me. And yet we serve a God who says the best way for you to show me that you love me is to love your neighbor. And so we've been talking about that for the past several weeks. That, you know, to, to first start loving our neighbor, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as better than our neighbor. We have to humble ourselves and realize that we are all created in the image of God, and we are none of us higher, you know, have a higher elevation, none of us have a superiority to the other one, regardless of what our life looks like, regardless of how much money we make, regardless of how big our home is, regardless of any of these things, none of us are better than somebody else. We are all created in the image of God, and we have to get that through our heads. And we have to, we talked about last week about how we have to actually know who our neighbors are, and when Jesus tells us that you know, we are all created in his image and that he came to die for all of us, then we begin to realize that our neighbors are everyone. Every single person that we come across is our neighbor, whether they live across the street or whether they live across the world, they're all our neighbor and we're called to love them, even those who have some crazy beliefs that are totally different than ours, that we sit there and it's like, but... But that person in the company that I usually hold, like, we're all making fun of that person. So it's okay. We can do, no, that person is your neighbor. And that might be God saying, hey, you know what? While everybody's making fun of that person and everybody's attacking that person, I want you to love that person by standing up for them. And by reminding everybody else amongst your group of friends that that person 
is an image bearer of mine, and they are your neighbors. So we have to know who our neighbors are. This morning I want to talk about how, you know, it's, uh, I came across this phrase this week in a book that I bought simply because I like the name of the book. I have no idea what the book is really about. But I was on Amazon and I was looking at books and I stumbled across this and was like, I don't know what that's going to talk about. But at some point, I want to steal the title of that book, and I'm going to name a message or a message series after it. Because the book was titled, What If Jesus Was Serious? And so I got the book, and it came in the mail on Friday, and I'm flipping through the book. And one of the chapters that I come across is, what if Jesus was serious? If he was serious, then that means that loving others is more than a feeling. It's an action. Like, there's actually something that we have to do, not something that we can just be like, well, I love my neighbors, and I'm not going to show them. Like, there, what if he was serious? What if he, was, he really meant it when he said that we have to do something about this? When we actually had neighbors who lived right next to us, in, a, in Casper, like I've told you before, we lived in a little cul-de-sac, and so the girls would play out in the front all the time. They'd play out. They'd ride their bikes around the circle. And at first, Sarah was really worried that they were going to get run over. And then I don't know if she just stopped caring if they got run over or if she just finally decided, like, it's, it's probably not going to happen. The teenage boy does tend to slow down a little bit when he gets to the cul-de-sac, so we'll be fine. But we had a, a neighbor who lived right next to us who was a single mom. She had one child still living at home, and then the, the boy would come back every now and then. Um, so we, we'd formed a pretty good relationship with her. She was actually one of the leaders in our youth group, and so we saw her at church all the time. But in Casper, we got this thing, uh, really, I would say during the winter, but it could happen any month of the year, called snow. And we would get a lot of it. They actually, about a month ago, I think it was, got their first 12-inch snow of the year in Casper. It only lasted a couple of days, and then it was gone. But it was, you know, that would have been September. When we moved in June, right? Yeah, we moved out here late June. Early June, we went out to Yellowstone for our first time ever, and we drove through a blizzard going into Yellowstone. So that's Wyoming for you. So we got this thing called snow. And when we would get this thing called snow, there were so many times where the girls would come in, and, you know, our driveway's covered in 6 to 12 to 24 inches of snow, and it's got drifts everywhere, and and I'm out there, and I'm shoveling our, our driveway, and the girls, without fail, they never came out and said, Daddy, can I help you? They would say, Daddy, can we go shovel Maria's driveway? That was, that was the neighbor. I mean, how do you sit there and be like, no, you need to shovel my driveway first, and then you go over and you help Maria. Now, Maria had a snowblower and everything, but Maria was at work. And so the girls would go out, and while Maria was at work, they would spend hours getting about a three-foot-by-three-foot section of snow shoveled in her driveway. So, no, they didn't get very far, but, man, they wanted to help her out. And it might have been a little bit because they knew that when she got home that they would get some really good sugary hot chocolate. That might have factored into it. But really, I believe they would have done that whether she gave them hot chocolate or not. You know, when I was, when I was a little kid and we had neighbors across the street— I remember I would go and visit um, this elderly couple right across the street. Uh, their last name was the, the Stites. And I would go over there and just, in their living room, talk for hours. And they would give me treats. I mean, they're, I'm not going to deny it. They would give me all sorts of sugary stuff that my parents wouldn't give me at my house. 
But just sitting down there, and there would be multiple times where my mom would be like, hey, you know what you could do today that would really mean a lot to somebody? Is just go over and visit with the Stites. And so I would go. It wasn't necessarily like that thing. I'm like, you know what I would love to do today? Go talk to people who I have nothing in common with other than that we live on the same street. But I did it, and I I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. But I did it because my parents were reminding me that that will mean the world to them for you to go over there and just sit down and just visit with them, to love our neighbors. One of the things we have to do to love our neighbors is we actually have to cross the street. You know, like I said, it's, it's not just a feeling that I can be like, I love my neighbors and then do nothing about it. It's, it's actually walking out the front door of my house and loving the neighbors that God has put into my life. Casting Crowns, uh, they came out with a song recently that I heard on the radio right as we were getting ready to start these conversations. And that's one of the, the lines that they have in there is that, you know, we come in here and we're, we're in our ivory towers. They're referring to the church. And, and they ask all these questions. Will we do this? You know, we have worship on a screen. We have, they say, a rock star preacher. And that's partly why I didn't want to sing the song this morning to you because I didn't want you all to think that I was subliminally reminding you that you have a rock star preacher or anything like that. But they, they're singing this song, and they finally get to that line, and they just say, but would we even cross the street to help somebody out? You know, we send our money overseas, but will we even cross the street to love our neighbor? What if Jesus was serious? We're going to look at several different passages this morning in Scripture, and part of the reason for that is because as you read the entirety of Scripture, you see this theme all the way through it. It's not like Jesus came along, and he walked among us, and he said, here's what I need you to do, and then it never gets brought up again. It's not like Paul was writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and he said, hey guys, make sure you love other people, but never was it mentioned again. It's all throughout the theme of scripture that to love God, we love his created beings. We love the people that he has put in our lives. First, we're gonna look at 1 John 3, and it's the other John 3.16. So it's 1 John 3.16. We're gonna work our way over into James 2, if you wanna put your finger in there. We're gonna very briefly be in Isaiah chapter 1, We're going to very briefly be in Micah 6, and then we're going to spend some more time in Matthew 25. So if you want to to skip those first four, because that's a whole lot of jumping back and forth, and you just want to open up to Matthew 25 and be ready for when we get there, that's perfectly fine. If you want a little bit of practice of jumping around in your Bible, well, 1 John, we're going to be in James, we're going to be in Isaiah, we're going to be in Micah, those two are in the Old Testament, and then we're going to be back into Matthew. But in 1 John chapter 3... Starting in verse 16, we read these words. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So when he's saying, love your neighbor as yourself, right here we're reading, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So loving our neighbor, real love is going to mean in some way or another, we are giving up our life for our neighbor. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. 
Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Some uncomfortable words in there, because it goes against kind of the goal that many times we're taught to have in life of you work hard so that you can be comfortable. You work hard so that you can acquire, so that you can be comfortable. Hey, you earned your money, so use it so that you can be comfortable. But there's a little bit, there's a little bit difference here. It's if you come across somebody and they're in need and you have money, but you show them no compassion, how can God's love be inside of you? Now we hear that, and I'm actually, hold on to that thought for just a second. James chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 14. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. What if Jesus was serious when he was giving these words to be written down? What if he was serious when he's saying that, look, you can believe, you can have faith, but if you don't do anything with it to love your neighbor, then your faith is worthless. Like that's, to me, that's a little bit terrifying. Like, am I, am I loving my neighbor? I don't think he's saying it to make us scared. He's not saying it to intimidate us, but it, it it terrifies me a little bit. Like, what if I really am just walking around believing but not doing anything with that belief? And we, we live in a world, I get it, this is a, a conversation that is on the news all the time, especially during election cycles, but during other times too, that we come across this discussion of what do we do about the poor and the homeless? What do we do about people who are in need, who have gotten themselves into the trouble that they're in? Do we just give them bailouts? Do we do welfare? Do we do homeless shelters? Do we do homeless villages? Do you know, what, what are we supposed to do? Should we be socialist? Should, be, should we be capitalist? And all these conversations go back and forth, and we have these arguments about, well, they got themselves into it in the first place. It's not my job to get them out. And we read passages like this, and we're like, well, yeah, but... But here's all the reasons why not to help these people. Now, I am not a believer that you just give out money to solve people's problems. See, that's one of the issues that we run into is we read this and we think it's all about just giving out money to handle the problems. But what if that person who has made those poor financial decisions, what if we make it part of our goal to meet their most basic needs? You know, we can look at them and we can be like, you know what? This was your fault, so starve to death. Like, we could take that approach and we say, you put yourself in, I'm gonna help out the people who are in this situation for no fault of their own. And there are plenty of people that are in hard situations in life through no fault of their own. They have no clothes and it's not their fault. Something happened in their life or they were just born into a hard situation. People in different countries, people in our own country are born into difficult situations. 
And those people, we tend to find it easier to help. But what if even our neighbors who put themselves in that situation, we went through life with the mentality of we're still going to love them and we're going to meet their most basic needs first. Instead of looking at them and being like, you know what, you made those choices so you can just starve to death or you made those choices so you can just freeze. What if we met their most basic needs, but then after that, we continued to engage with them? And while, may, you know, we might not pay their cell phone bill, we might not pay their electricity bill, we might not pay all of these different bills that they have, but we can meet the most basic needs and then help them understand how to get out of the hole that they're in or walk through them through the addiction that they're fighting. That we can, we can see the child who needs a home and maybe, if we're able, offer a home to that child? What if, instead of looking at all the reasons not to help somebody, we looked at the reasons to help somebody and the ways that we can help and love our neighbor? When my dad was here a couple of weeks ago, we were driving home, I think it was after the return, we'd gone out to eat, we'd gone out, we got ice cream after that, and then we're driving home, and right over before you get to the bridge that goes over the interstate on Hart Street, when you're coming back towards Walmart, so I believe we'd be going south at that point. I am so confused when I drive through Vincennes as to what direction I'm going. So I've given up trying to say what direction I'm going. But I believe we're going south because we're going towards Walmart and then, you know, back towards Monroe City after that. We're about to go over the bridge and there's a woman whose car is broken down on the side of the road. She's right at the intersection, kind of pulled to the side, but right at the intersection. So people are pulling up behind her, and then they're realizing this isn't going anywhere. So they finally pull around her. Some of them honk at her. Some of them probably are yelling things at her. She's outside. She's on the phone talking to somebody. And we pull up behind her, and my first thought is, man, she's broken down. She needs some help. And my second thought right after that is, but we can't do that. Like, if we do that, you know, where are we gonna, what are we going to do? I can't pull her with what I have right now. I can't, you know, if we push and we jump out and push, then my pickup's just going to be sitting here and it's going to be in the way instead. You know, and then there's the whole thoughts of, well, if we get out and help, we could get hit by somebody while we're helping her or this could be, you know, some sort of ruse because those kinds of things go on. And I start running through all the different reasons not to help this lady, which as a pastor who's just getting ready to speak on a series of how to neighbor and to love your neighbor as yourself, like, you talk about some guilt that you can feel. Man, when I got done with that little internal debate going on in my head, I was like, wow, maybe somebody else should get up and speak. But we did end up, we stopped, we got out, and our plan was we're going to get her started, and then Dad's going to go back, and he's going to get the pickup while I hopefully can keep pushing behind this vehicle so that we can get her to a parking lot at least. And so we get out, and we start with it, and it turns out it was, it was pretty easy. There was a, you know, got over the little hill and she had a little car and it starts rolling and I'm actually to the point where I'm, I'm getting tired trying to keep up behind the car and then I figured out later that the only times I caught up and when it was really tiring was when she was pushing on the brake instead of like, ah! But we, we never did get her to a parking lot because she decided that she wanted to leave it kind of by the curb so that her dad could find her. We made sure, okay, so your dad is coming. So you do have something coming. And she's like, yeah, my brother's across the road, which, which could have just been a, hey, my brother's across the road because there's two men out here helping me right now, and I want them to think that there's a guy about to come back here and, and stick up for me just in case. That's, that's the world we live in, and that's something that 
that makes us hesitate to help sometimes or to accept help. But we got her taken care of after having this internal debate as to whether or not to help her in the first place. See, in that situation, giving her money wasn't going to be the, that wasn't gonna solve her problem. Now, maybe if we weren't standing on the side of the road in a place where it was dangerous to stand and we'd been able to have more of a conversation, maybe we would have found out that she needed some financial assistance to fix her vehicle or who knows. But we met the most basic need that she had, the most immediate need that she had, so that then she was able to get the help that was available to her after that. And I think so often that's what Jesus is calling us to do when he says love your neighbor is meet their most basic needs. Stop trying to solve all the world's problems with this one person and meet their most basic needs first. In Isaiah 117, and we're gonna, we're gonna cruise through a few of these a little bit faster, I just want you to catch where he's telling us this throughout the entirety of Scripture. Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. Nowhere in there does it say, and look out for your own good while you're at it. Everywhere in there, it says, help out those who need help. Whether they're an orphan, whether they're oppressed, whether they're a widow, help those who need your help. Micah 6.8 reads this. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. This is after he said, look, I'm not looking for sacrifices. I'm not looking for a bull on an altar. I'm not looking for blood. I'm not looking for any of these things. He says, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I require of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, in the first one, we hear that word justice, and that word justice means a lot of different things these days. I think it meant a lot of different things back then, but the literal translation of justice is to do what's right, to make it right. And so we can get into the arguments about what justice is. Is justice freeing everybody or is justice law and order? Is justice putting people in prison? Is justice this? Is justice that? But really, he's telling us to seek what is right and then do it. Don't get so hung up on all of those other things that you don't allow yourself to seek what is right and then do it. In Matthew 25, this is, I don't know how many times I've read this to students over the years. But in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking and he says in verse 31, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Just out of curiosity, I know hogs, turkeys, a little bit of cattle. Does anyone have sheep in here? I figured it was worth a shot. So, don't worry about that. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in prison? When did we ever see any of these things? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. And then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. You know, there's a different part where Jesus tells them that there's going to come a day where there are going to be people who come before me and they say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, away from me, for I never knew you. That there are going to be people who walked around and said, I believe in God. I believe in Christ. I believe that he died and he rose for my sins. I'm going to go around and I'm going to spread that word to the mountaintops. I'm going to spread it into the cities. Anyone who's willing to listen, I'm going to let them know who God is. I'm going to let them know how loving he is. I'm going to let them know that he sacrificed himself for them. But I'm not going to lift a finger to actually help my neighbor who needs me to love them. That the only way I'm going to love them is with my words. And if Jesus was serious, then it means that the love goes beyond our words. Now I believe that the most important way that we can love somebody is to tell them about Jesus. To tell them what he's done for them. But there's going to be a lot of people that we have to show them the love of Jesus. That just words aren't going to do it. See, for so long, people have looked at Christians and they've looked at the church and you wonder why the nation turns away from God. Part of it is that they have seen people who have professed to be Christ followers not do the things that Christ told them to do, which was to love their neighbors. They go to church on Sunday And they worship for an hour to an hour and a half, but they're looking at their watch at the 30-minute mark to see how long they've been there. Because the game starts, well, here the game starts at 1, so we're pretty good on that one. That's not as big of an issue. That was one of the selling points to moving out to Indiana, actually. (laughs) I mean, I'm just being real here. But they're looking at their watch, and they're, they're going, okay, so how much, you know, he typically speaks for anywhere from 27 to an hour, so I really don't know how much longer he has, but he seems to be wrapping it up. So we're going to say maybe in the next five minutes or so, he's going to be done, and then we can get on with our days. And then we walk out, and we just seek our own comforts again. And we forget that the thing that we're supposed to do throughout the entire week is to love God and love our neighbors, and our neighbors don't see that lived out. DC Talk 
in the middle of one of their songs a long time ago. How many of you know who DC Talk is? This helps me generationally. Okay, good. So DC Talk, like they were, they were our band of my generation in the, the, the older millennial age. Yes, I just admitted to being a millennial. Um, so they, in the middle of one of their songs, they quoted somebody. I don't know. For me, it, DC Talk said this. I'm sure somebody said it before them. But the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then go on with their lifestyle, then go on and live their lifestyles as if he didn't exist. That we say he's this, and we say he tells us to do this, but then we go out and we live just like everybody else. And there's no difference when people look at us. What if Jesus was serious when he told us that we have to cross the street? That we have to cross the street, that when there's that teenager who's in a world that they feel like is just falling apart around them and they don't know what to do, that they need that person or those people in their lives who are willing to mentor them through this instead of run away from them like they're the plague. What if we need to cross the street and help out that little kid who doesn't have a pair of shoes that fits him and they're two sizes too small and he just needs somebody to put a pair of shoes on his feet? What if we need to cross the street to the person who is physically unable to take care of their house and the way that their house needs to be taken care of and it's falling apart around them and they just need somebody to cross the street and clean out their gutters? What if we need to cross the street and there's that person with the medical bills that are piling up and they need some help paying some medical bills and we have the means to do it if we cancel Hulu or Netflix or Prime Video or fill in the blank as to what it is that we might be able to give up so that they can get out from under it. What if we need to cross the street and we need to help the addict out of their addiction and walk through that painful process with them? What if we need to cross the street and go and visit the widow or the widower? What if we need to cross the street and God's saying, I need you to foster a child or I need you to adopt a child or I need you to give a little to help fund an organization like the Isaiah 117 house that is working with foster children. What if we need to cross the street by doing more than on Sunday, just coming in and say, hey, how was your week? Oh, fine, oh, good, mine was great too, and then walk on when really the person is desperate for someone to talk to, and if we would stop and say, no, really, how are you? And just sit and listen to that person. There are so many different ways for us to cross the street. Now, I'm not very tall, so I can't do this one very often, but what if you need to cross the street by helping the short person in the grocery store reach the thing off the top shelf? Crossing the street doesn't have to look like a life-altering, world-changing moment. We're not all going to start organizations that are going to end sex trafficking. And we're not all going to start organizations that are going to end poverty. We're not all going to start organizations that are going to save people from the situations that they're in. But we can all cross the street and love our neighbor in some way or another. And as we start with the little things, we might find that it gets easier to even notice the things that we were just driving by in the first place. That's why, you know, you've heard us talk about it, but that's why next week when we come here, we're not going to spend very much time in this building. We're going to cross the street and we're going to rake leaves. 
and we're gonna clean out gutters of people who live right here in our neighborhood of Monroe City, Indiana. It sounds so simple. I don't know how many faith in action, love your cities, whatever I've, you know, different churches I've been in have called them over the different years. I don't know how many times I've spent time in those raking leaves or I've spent time in those picking up trash and I sit there and I go, man, this doesn't seem to be making much of a difference. And then all of a sudden we have a fantastic conversation with the person whose leaves we rake. Or we don't. And instead it's just, you know what? We helped them out. And when they asked us who we were here with and why we were doing this, we told them, we're here with Jesus. And then when they say, no, but really, who are you with? Like, well, we're with Jesus. Yes, we're also with this church, but we're with Jesus first. And they get to understand that Jesus tells us to love our neighbor and to cross the street. Not to find the excuses, not to help the lady push her car down the road, but to think about and pray about the ways that we can help them push their car down the road. To think about the ways that we can help them find solutions to the problem that they're in. Whether they put themselves in the situation or not. To think about the ways that we can love our neighbors by crossing the street. What if Jesus really was serious when he told us these things? I think I am going to go ahead because Casting Crown's got that so well. And I've been like having this internal debate the whole time as far as whether or not to sing this song and whether or not to do this song. Um, When I saw Gil walk in this morning, dude, I was like, man, if I would have known you were going to be here, I'd have you play the piano on this thing. But it's got to start with us crossing the street. And there are so many. I don't want you to hear this and be like, man, I've been looking at Monroe City First Church of God and thinking, man, we really need to be better at loving people. Do we? Absolutely, we need to be better at loving people. I think that we have a great thing going in here on Sunday mornings. And I've seen growth as we've come in here on Sunday mornings. And I've seen more passion on Sunday mornings. And I want to be known as a church that has powerful moments of worship. And has powerful moments where the people come together and corporately worship God and lift up his name. But I don't want to just be known for what we do in here on Sunday morning. I want people, when they think of Monroe City First Church of God, to think about what Monroe City First Church of God does for their neighbors and how they love their neighbors because I believe that will point other people to Jesus. This can point the people in the building to Jesus, but that will point the world to Jesus. If we are something outside of these buildings, we have people who are fostering kids and adopting kids. We have people who are giving up their time on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings to love on kids. We have people who are donating, I don't even know how much money it was last year, to Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes and people who are coming in here to put those together. We have people who are doing so many different things to love the community. And yet there's still more that we can do to love our community. And that's why we're doing Faith in Action next week. That's why we're doing a trunk or treat in a couple of weeks. It's not just to give candy to kids, but it's to love our neighbors and to show them that we love them and we care about them. That's why we do what we do is because Jesus seriously told us that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Would you stand with us this morning one more time? As as we think about this, I, I don't 
I don't want us to sit here and think, man, we just need to do better, which again, we do. We need to do better. There's always going to be more that we can do. Jesus gave his life, and until the point that our life is over, there's always going to be more opportunities for us to love our neighbors. But in order to get that power that we can do that, in order to live in that power so that instead of just beating ourselves up, like, man, we should really just be better people or we should really just work harder. In order to get to a point where we're not doing it out of guilt or doing it out of shame that we didn't do more, we have to recognize that we serve a Savior who showed us the example and we serve a God who gave us his spirit so that we could go and live in that, so that it's not we are walking around looking for these opportunities, but instead we are walking around listening to the spirit point to the opportunities to love our neighbor because we serve a God who has done so many great things. We can't help but want to do great things for our neighbors. So would you sing this one last song with us this morning?